There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Hackmaster, Rob W. Basham, MD. Alex Brent Barnard Rasmussen. Gluten free Catherine Brandt. <laughs> Andy Brent Bernard. And gluten free Cassie Schrader. off Talia. Terrible. Good God. I just meant like I am physically gluten-free. I am physically. <laughs> no. Mine's not if by you've choice. Been, if you've eaten gluten recently, you're not because it's inside your stomach. I've had. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Chasing the Bear, How Bear Bryant and Nick Saban Made Alabama the Greatest College Football Program of All Time. Woo-hoo. Lars Anderson, our special guest up next with the family. Recently, the four Walzer dealerships in Burnsville, Walzer Subaru, Walzer Honda, Walzer Nissan, and Walzer Mazda encountered a hailstorm. A justice flew in from around the U.S. to handle a claim on what will be over 2,500 new and used cars. They've drastically reduced the pricing on these vehicles, and there are some wonderful bargains available. But here's the deal. I normally hate the hurry-these-won't-last style of marketing, but in this case, it is true. It's not like they'll go into the back lot at night with hammers and make more. I also usually tell people to check them out online, but in the case of slightly damaged cars, you really do have to see them for yourselves. Stop out to Walzer Mazda, Nissan, Honda, and Subaru just south of the Burnsville Mall on Buck Hill Road. If you really want to, you can tell them Tom sent you, but that sounds kind of dumb. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We're just dancing in the dark. and The reason we're dancing in the dark is because we're living in frightening times. 
That's what he said in the news yesterday. Mm. That we are living in frightening times. Pretty much all times are frightening. Depends on a, you know how you look at life. Who you are. Yeah, all right, who you are. Chasing the Bear, how Bear Bryant and Nick Saban made Alabama the greatest college football program of all time. Lars Anderson, our special guest. Lars, I have to ask you right up front where you're from. Um, Lincoln, Nebraska, and I went to undergraduate at St. Olaf College. I yeah. knew it. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. I'm a, I'm a Minnesotan at heart, but after spending four winters in Northfield, Minnesota, I decided to abdicate the state. <laughs> I uh, abdicate. And then yeah. I, uh, I went to uh, I went to uh, Columbia Journalism School. I uh, earned a master's from Columbia. And was very fortunate to get a tryout with Sports Illustrated at age 23 Jeez. and spent 20 years at, at SI and then uh, three years with Bleacher Report as the primary long form writer. And now I've been, uh, I've been full time faculty at the University of Alabama teaching journalism for my sixth year. But I still am doing, you know, stuff for Bleacher Report and other sort of long form stories, uh, writing books and, and I found it interesting what you guys were saying during the break. Uh, I was a speechwriter for Walt Maddox, uh, who ran for governor of Alabama right. as, a, as a Democrat, and yep. uh, we, we thought we had we, we thought we had a really a, a good chance going against our opponent Kay Ivey, who uh, refused to participate in this thing called participatory democracy. She right. wouldn't debate us or even make any public appearances. Right. But the uh, you know out the state of Alabama is so overwhelmingly. Republican uh, again. We liked our chances on election night, but yeah. uh, we end up yeah. losing. We end up losing by nineteen. So anyway, that's uh, uh, that's uh, that's sort of my uh, very very brief bio. And now just think, one of these days you'll be thirty years old. <laughs> any day now, Lars. Any day. Now I was just going to say with a name like Lars Anderson, you just disappear in Minnesota anyway. Hey, where's Lars Anderson? Yeah, well, all eighty-five of them are over yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of Larses in the deep south. Uh, no, uh, I've never actually. I've, I've never. I've never come across a, another one. And, uh, I could see that. You know, I was, li- I was living in New York, and the, the the only reason the only reason I can think of you would leave New York for. Birmingham, Alabama is one, and that is a woman, and that's that's what I ended up doing. No, there you go. Girl down here, and uh, now we have uh, three kids under the age of five. Oh, do you really? Congratulations! You're busy. It's a great gift, man. That's wonderful. That is wonderful news. Our daughter Alex is sitting here, and she has a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Sure do. Okay, so she she knows the pain. Lars, that's not very nice, now, is it? Or is it joy? <laughs> is it, it might be joy. Well, hard, to, hard uh, to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bundles of joy. There, you know, you have, you do have these moments that are just uh, off the charts. Yeah. Happiness, but uh, you know, the day to day grind can, can be difficult. I'm, and I'm already, you know, already envisioning when I have three kids in college at the same time. So that's why I got to keep cranking out these books. Yeah. I'm about one every 18 months. Yeah, it'll be about a million dollars a year for you. Yeah, exactly. It'll all work out in the end. Uh, Lars, I got to tell you a very quick story about the University of Alabama. And then I do want to talk about two of the greatest coaches of all time, Paul Bear Bryant and uh, Nick Saban, of course. But, uh, Lars, there uh, we have a friend. Grew up in Gadsden, Alabama, 
and he was a big-time Alabama fan. Still is. I mean, I shouldn't say he was. He's a huge Alabama fan. Roll Tide. You say hello, he says Roll Tide. He doesn't even say that's hello right. back that's, to that's, that's, that's the proper greeting. And I believe Gaz in Alabama, they produce more socks there than any place in the world. More, more what? Socks. They, there's a big sock factory. It's oh. A, it's, a, it's the sock it's the sock capital of the world. I did not know that. It <laughs> is? I, I believe no so. I, I, I could be wrong on that. But, it, but anyway, sorry. Go now, Lars, as you pointed out, that the Alabama is a very conservative state, and the University of Alabama is a very, in general, a very, very conservative college, wouldn't you say? I mean, for a college, it's very conservative, don't you think? I'm not comfortable putting sort of labels on it. I mean, you know, it it, it depends on yeah, that's true. That's sort true. of the the department and and, <laughs> and where you are. I mean, I, I feel like I have great freedom to do whatever I, I choose. You know, it, and in fact, I was encouraged to again be very vocal and, and work on this political campaign for a uh, um, for Walt Maddox, who is the mayor mm-hmm. of Tuscaloosa and a and a you know big time Democrat. Okay, so Lars, here's the but, deal. But yeah, but yeah, no, but yeah. I mean, there, historically, Alabama has had its challenges, right? Just like uh, many many schools in the South. So about uh, eleven years ago, uh, this my friend. His first name is Johnny, and it's not John; it's Johnny. Okay, there'll be no calling me John. My name is Johnny. So we got to play golf, and he's got an Alabama golf bag. It says University of Alabama on it. it. Everywhere it's, you know, roll tide. And on the front it just says Bama, right where you put the golf balls, you know, you, where you store the golf balls. It says Bama right there. So we show up one day. He walks up to the, to the uh, golf cart and he stops and he stares. This is a very conservative man. This is 11 years ago. He gets to his golf bag and somebody had glued an O in front of Bama. So it said Obama. It was hilarious. <laughs> Lars, I wish you would have been there. It was just, it was phenomenal. <laughs> his reaction just says Obama on his golf bag. <laughs> oh, we yeah, all laughed. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> we did have a great time. Okay, well, tell me about, okay, I will tell you this. Um, University of Minnesota, when I was a little boy, won the national championship uh, when I was nine years old. So that's when I started paying attention because... Uh, you know, back in 1961, the University of Minnesota had a hell of a team because it was the only what would become a Division One school in America that recruited black players. A lot of black players came up to the University of Minnesota. They won the national championship. And it kind of surprised me, Lars, that more players don't come here to kind of honor that, that step that the University of Minnesota took. That was a very brave move on their, on their part. I mean, it really was uh, back in 1961 to recruit black players. But it paid off. Yeah, I mean that's about uh, it was about ten years before Alabama became yep, yep. integrated, and, mm. and uh, you know I, I detail that in the book. Oh, you do? Okay. Look, there have been yeah, there have been there have been ESPN documentaries on how yep. Bear Bryant invited USC, an integrated team, to come play uh, Alabama at Legion Field in Birmingham in 1970. Bryant, knowing full well that his team was going to get throttled. But he needed to show the fans that in order to compete nationally and in order to compete for national championships, he simply had to integrate the, the roster. Right. And the best way to illustrate that was to get thumped on the field by a team that had a African-American quarterback, an African-American running back, 
And and even at, at that time, Alabama did have three freshmen on the team, but the freshmen weren't eligible, so they sat in the stands oh, that okay. day. Oh, okay, okay. And then the following year, Alabama went out to uh, Pasadena to play USC, and I believe it was on the opening kick. Uh, it was an African American who made the tackle, and Alabama also in that game uh, switched uh, from a pro style offense to a wishbone. And and Bryant kept it under wraps. Like even when reporters were allowed to view uh, different periods of uh, spring practice and summer practice, he would switch back. He he, he would switch back to this post-style offense. And it's, it's interesting. A, a reporter from the Tuscaloosa News kind of got wind that that they were making this radical change. And Brian called him into his office and put his put his big arm around him and said, "You know, we're all on the same team, right?" And a reporter decided not to not to write the story. I mean, can you can you can't can you imagine that today? Uh, yeah. that, that reporter would have tweeted that out in a, in a heartbeat. But because they but because Alabama absolutely surprised and shocked USC with this new style offense, they're able to pull Alabama was able to pull off the upset. But yeah, Alabama was they were slow. They were slow to to integrate. I mean, and, but that goes back to there was a lot of um, social issues, civic issues, economic issues that have always made the people of Alabama feel like second-rate citizens, almost like they're viewed upon as a second country, as yeah, a different country. Yeah. And, this, and this goes. I mean, and I I, I I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out why do Alabama fans care so much. Right, like so. Growing up in Nebraska, I thought Nebraska had the most rabid fan base. Oh God, but, but yes, here, back in the you know, day. But but here, you know, the day before the Super Bowl, people aren't talking about the Super Bowl; they're talking about recruiting. It is just nonstop. I mean, it. And and so what I do is I, I trace it back, and, and, and other scholars have. I, I wouldn't call myself a scholar. Definitely not. I'd say journalist, but 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 trace it back to the Civil War where the Confederates. Confederate soldiers had this mentality that that one Confederate was worth two Union soldiers on the battlefield, and then after the war, you know the uh, post uh, post uh, after the Civil War, and then you get to World War One. After the, after post World War One, you have this economic boom that sweeps through the country, but it doesn't sweep through the South, and the South is still sort of in the grip of the Depression. And still having these uh, these civic uh, these uh, racial problems, civic problems, and then Alabama goes across the country and plays Washington in the 1920 Rose Bowl, and there was this great feeling of pride that hey, you know what, we may have all these problems, uh, but we still feel like our boys are better than your boys, and even though it was Washington State, right, or the state of Washington that they played in the Rose Bowl. It was framed in the time by these, uh, you know, hyperbolic reporters as the second coming of the Civil War, oh, and God. that only enhanced that only enhanced this feeling of pride in the Alabama fans. So again, like the, we may have all these other issues, but you know what? We can do one thing really well, and we can beat the crap out of you guys on the football field. Yep. And so, the, you know, the meaning of college football it, it just it runs. So deep and it's so intertwined in, in the fabric of the culture in Alabama. Uh, it's, it, 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 it is uh, it, it is it is how people identify themselves. Uh, even if they didn't go to the University of Alabama, they're still very much it's called sidewalk alumni. 
<laughs> and e- even the sidewalk alumni are so just their their identity, their mood, their spirits are all just so so tied up in in, the, in their football team. And really, it's that passion with, which fuels the entire program, and it, it makes it attractive for somebody like Nick Saban to come here because he knows that that he's going to get every single resource he will need uh, to build uh, what he has done. And mm-hmm. it's also why it made it attractive to Bear Bryant because he got the exact same thing. Now, Lars, do you know? Because I do not. What separates the Bear Bryants, the Nick Sabans, and the Bill Belichicks from from other coaches? Uh, to me, and maybe I'm mistaken, but they're they're so clearly far and above better than everybody else. Do you know what 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 happens there? How that happens? You know, the Wall Street Journal did a review of the book not long ago, and I was criticized because. I I didn't have a sexy answer to that question, and I spent a lot of time and resources digging into that, especially with Nick. But it can be distilled into two words. It's hard work. I mean, he's just going to outwork you. He's going to outprepare you. Every moment of every day is is scheduled and scripted. You know, the reason he doesn't uh, order a different lunch or the reason he has the exact same lunch every single day, and it's a, a turkey salad with uh, mustard in a styrofoam container because he doesn't want to waste five minutes thinking about what he wants to have for lunch. You know, <laughs> I love it. I, I, love and, and it. So I, that's a microcosm. That's just a microcosm of how prepared he is. And that's why what happened last January uh, or in January uh, out in Santa Clara against Clemson was so baffling because on the sideline as mm-hmm. Alabama was suffering its worst loss of the Saban era, on the sideline, you didn't see Nick throwing his headset. You didn't see him just losing his mind. He had, this, he, he had a sense of resignation about him. And, and he, saw, he saw what was coming. I think he saw it coming. Uh, he, he spoke in metaphor during the year of, you know, everybody. And, and whenever he talks about cars or his dad, you need to pay attention because he loves those are the two things he loves most, oh, cars and nice. his father. And, and, and he used the metaphor of everybody thinks that they have this really, really pretty car and, and the girls love it and, and boys want to drive it. But then you look under the hood and you see that there are some really bad problems. And he's like, that's what we have right now. And you guys, you don't, you don't see it because you're, you're too worried about what the exterior of the car looks like. But when you look under the hood, mm, I like I'm it. telling you we have issues. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just kind of blew that off. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's being prepared and, and also there is just, and I think this, you know, he talks to Belichick at least once a week. They, they coach together in Cleveland. They've known each other going all the way back. Uh, I mean, they've, they've known each other for almost 50 years and in a lot of ways they're the same person, but they're also extremely smart. I mean, extremely smart. And, and I mean, and Nick is even oddly he's, he's introverted. He's not great in, in in groups of like six to ten. He's fine when you put him up in front of a crowd and you know he has to give a speech and, and he can do that no no issues. But he, he he's not real good in smaller groups with people he doesn't know. Uh, he's great in his office one on one. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I, and I think and I think Belichick is the same way. Like. 
they, they come off a certain, they come off as, as distant and disinterested in, in some public settings because they would just rather be thinking about football. I mean, honestly, like, they would just rather be dealing with some issue on their team, uh, you know, rather than having to either deal with the media or, or go to, to, to some event to speak. I mean, Nick is just all football all the time. And, you know, uh, my good buddy, Armin Katayan, we, uh, we wrote a show together on, on Lawrence Phillips. Lars? We spent some time. Yeah. Do you have, I need to take a very quick break. Do you have a few more minutes or do you have to get going? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Okay, you do. We'll, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes more with Lars Anderson chasing the bear, how Bear Bryant and Nick Saban made Alabama the greatest college football program of all time. We'll be right back with Lars right after this. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? (laughs) Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. (laughs) Chuck Knobloch. If you're one of those folks out there still putting up with contact lenses or dealing with glasses, think just for a moment, what would it be like to wake up to a clear morning and experience your day with all the freedom LASIK brings? Well, I'm living proof. That dream can come true. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With the new year right around the corner, it's time to set your sights on 2020 vision. Get $500 off LASIK through the end of the year at Whiting Clinic. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contacts, then it's time for you to find out if you're a candidate for LASIK. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com for your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Imagine 2020, buy 2020, and let 2020 be your best year yet with $500 off LASIK at Whiting Clinic. Offer expires December 31st, 2019. Both eyes only cannot be combined. Results may vary. Oh, that must be the, uh, the other one. Not the real one. This is the real one. Lars Anderson, our special guest, chasing the bear, how Bear Bryant and Nick Saban made Alabama the greatest college football program of all time. Lars, 1972, I had just gotten out of uh, broadcasting school, 70, 71, something like that, a year or two earlier. And a friend of mine invited me down to Lincoln, Nebraska. I, I believe the call letters were KFMQ at the time. Yeah, I think it was KFMQ. In Lincoln, Nebraska, he invites me down to, to do a couple of shows down there with him. So I, I, I fly into Lincoln, Nebraska, and we're driving along, and I said, what is that? And he goes, that's the stadium. I said, really? I looked, and there were 25 brand-new Trans Ams sitting right in front of the stadium. What was that all about, Lars? <laughs> <laughs> he just starts laughing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, they had, this, they had a program. 
that you could go and, and work for a dealership. You know, you could go wash a car right. for right. About, about 20 minutes, and then in return for that strenuous work, you would get a free Trans Am to drive. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, very you know, strenuous. That, that was not, that was not uh, you know, very, that was commonplace throughout all of college. Yes, football. it was. And it was. I yeah. bet. I bet. I guarantee you. You walk down to the to the players' parking lot at the University of Minnesota, and you tell me how much money is in those. How much? How much all those cars are worth? Oh God! Well over oh millions of dollars. Yep. Right? Yep, uh, it's you true. Can, I'm telling you. You can you can go you can go anywhere, and, and it's there is there is widespread cheating. I, cool. There's just no doubt about it in my mind. Oh, there's no uh, question. Yes. And and so, you know, I am a proponent of, of paying the players, and I, I'm very interested in the law that was just signed out in California. I think it goes into effect in 2022 20, or 23. And we'll see how the NCAA reacts to that. To paying players, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – or, or allowing players to profit right. from their own life. Right, but the, the, the problem is, like, let's say you got uh, – I don't know if you guys have ever been to the South before, but we have uh, grocery stores called Piggly Wiggly. Absolutely, right? man. So what if you? What if? All right. So what if you had? What if Jalen Hurts, when he was the starting quarterback at Alabama, he was brought to you by by Piggly Wiggly, and they signed Jalen to a two hundred thousand dollar deal that runs the course of his entire college football career. But then Jalen decides, I got I, I got transferred to Oklahoma. Well, there's no Piggly Wigglies in Oklahoma. What does Jalen do? It, 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 it would almost, it would almost prevent. Yeah. You know, in a yep. situation like that, it would prevent the transfer. But I think that is the way we are moving, and I think it's the way we should move. I think, I think college players should be compensated for what they are doing. And um, you know, the, the president of the Big Ten last year. Uh, I believe he made over fifty million dollars just oh, in um, just in bonuses. Unbelievable! So I mean, there, there's a there's a lot of people making a lot of money off of these kids, and so uh, yep, I, I truly true. believe that they believe uh, they deserve a slice of the pie. No, you're right. If they were to, if they were to pay the uh, college football players or decide they were going to do that, how are they going to uh, write all the uh, parity with uh, women's sports and other sports uh, for that matter? Well, that, that, that's the issue is, is how do you circumvent Title IX or how do you incorporate right. all, the, uh, all the other athletic programs? But you got you know football underwrites all the other all the other sports essentially football and men's basketball underwrite all the sports at all the schools all the major schools uh so and and i understand the title nine issues and they're important issues but if it's the if it's those two sports you know i think you just open it up and if there is a, a women's softball player who has the ability to profit off her own likeness then she can go ahead and do that um you know but it would obviously be much harder for someone like that, uh, and it will probably create it would create some problems in the locker room and more headaches mm-hmm. for coaches to manage because the, the quarterback and the wide receiver is getting all this money, but the lineman isn't getting anything. Uh, so you know, I, 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 I don't know, and 
and also because you know at places like Alabama where, where boosters have there's a ton of money in this state and and boosters would just you know go crazy to to sponsor a kid so to speak and and so it'd make it more it would make it more lucrative for kids to come to a school like in Alabama or a Texas than maybe a Minnesota where the, the fan base isn't as rabid. Yeah. So anyway, there's there's all there, there's there's so many issues that still need to be resolved, but I but I think most people can agree that there is a, a level of unfairness with what is happening now. No, you're absolutely right. It's funny you point that out. Uh, that the these fill stadiums everywhere. University of Minnesota is eight and zero right now. They're going to play the eight and zero Penn State club in a couple of well, it's about a week and a half now because we have a bye this week. You got two teams that are eight and zero. And Minnesota still cannot fill its football stadium because they haven't won the Big Ten since 1967. Yeah, that's a yeah. Fact. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a big Nebraska fan, and uh, I, I was I was floored by how good that Minnesota team is. That they uh, mm-hmm. they wiped the floor with the Huskers. Uh, that was as bad as it, it sort of got under the Scott Frost era. But uh, yeah, I think we'll find out a lot about Minnesota when they when when they play Penn State. Oh yeah, uh, Penn State. Penn State's been a pleasant surprise this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also I do a radio show twelve to two uh, every day, but Tuesdays with, with Jay Barker and uh, and Antonio Lang and we played both played at Alabama and they yeah. played in the NFL. Right. And uh, and we talk about the Big Ten a lot because I'm a Big Ten person, and and to me it just it seems like it's Ohio State. And then there's a big separation with everybody else. Because yes. Ohio State just has NFL players all over that roster, all over the field. And, mm-hmm. and Justin Fields has been better than I thought he would be at quarterback. And so I, But I, I think Minnesota is going to be able to wrap up their side of the division. And, you know, if, if Minnesota can somehow win out and oh, then upset, God. and then and it, it's not beyond the realm. You know, if they can somehow uh, beat Penn State and beat Wisconsin, and, and I think they have Iowa and Northwestern, right? So they, they exactly have a, right. They have they have a challenging schedule, but if, if even if they can navigate all that with one loss, get to the Big Ten championship game, and somehow upset Ohio State, I think it would be hard to keep Minnesota out of the playoffs. Oh God! So yes. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I really think I really think Minnesota you know, again. It depends on if the, who that one loss is to and what that one loss looks like. Because, but with Oklahoma losing last week to uh, to Kansas State, uh, and they were Oklahoma was a twenty-five point favorite, and now I think the Big Twelve is going to be shut out of the playoffs. I think the SEC, or excuse me, I think that the Pac-12 is going to be shut out of the yep. playoffs. Yep. Uh, I think you're, you're going to have Clemson, which will make it. I think you'll have two SEC teams. And or you either have two SEC teams or two Big Ten teams, and and, and so, you know, well, like, again, like I, I know it's a long road to travel, and I, I would put the odds very, very slim. But nonetheless, I mean, Minnesota it has been one of the surpri- biggest surprises of the of the season, if not the biggest, and uh, still think they have an outside shot of, of making it to the playoffs. Lars, I will close with this. That friend of mine, I went out and flew at KFMQ out there in Lincoln, Nebraska. He wrote a new slogan for the city of Lincoln, Nebraska, but they turned him down. I thought it was brilliant, and he actually did submit it, but he wrote a, a new slogan for the city of Lincoln, Nebraska. He wanted to put up on all, all the signs leading into town, Lincoln, Nebraska, where the West Peters out. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now that's brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant, right? Well, there. Uh, yeah, I, I love I, I love the use of the word Peters. Because, <laughs> you know, we do have that we do have that phallic symbol as our uh, state capital. That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> the big penis that but, is the uh, state capital. Look, I, I love uh, I love Lincoln so much that I, I named my firstborn son Lincoln. Oh, uh, that's a good name, anyway. So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a huge huge Husker uh, guy, and uh, can't. He's four and a half, and then next oh. year I'm going to take him back for a game. So uh, nice. it's a great town, great atmosphere. I'm sure you know. Game yep. days in Lincoln are, are very special yep. and uh, uh, just one of the, the best college football environments in the country. Ladies and gentlemen, chasing the bear, how Bear Bryant and Nick Saban made Alabama the greatest college football program of all time. Lars Anderson. Now, Minnesotans are going to have a hard time spelling. How do you spell that last name? Like, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Great interview. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Lars Anderson, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back in just a couple of Well, they will be back. I have to I have to shoot out the door because I I have other business I have to take care of. But you guys, it should be a great interview. Muy importante. Muy importante. <laughs> Where the West Peter yeah, the reason it was the West Peter's out. And I'm glad he knew it was because the state capital is a huge penis. That's what it looks like. Or is it where the Midwest Peter's out? <laughs> yeah, it's both ways. There baby. you go. It it peters out both ways. We'll be back with the family. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that due to the tremendous results and success from hundreds of people like me, that the 40-day Ultimate Weight Loss Program powered by Nutramost has opened a second location, conveniently located in Edina at France Avenue and 494. With this program, you can lose an average of 26.2 pounds in just 40 days. If you're serious about losing weight, feeling years younger and healthier, then this is for you. Ultimate's plan is the only weight loss plan to be strong, science certified for efficacy and safety. Schedule an immediate consultation in their newly dining location or in Plymouth or attend their free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, October 14th at Tavern on France Avenue in Edina. Call now, 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Study data comes from clients submitted data to a third party for tracking of daily weight loss and progress through the Nutrimost weight loss programs. See website for full disclaimer details, ultimatewl.com. We're back yes, with the Tom Bernard Show or, or the family or whatever we're called now. <laughs> and we have our guests on the phone. We do. We have um, Centoya, my search for redemption in the American prison system. She wrote a book uh, at the age of 16. Centoya Brown, a victim of sex trafficking, was arrested for killing a man who had picked her up for sex. Two years later, she was sentenced to life in prison. In this audio book written over the 15 years she was incarcerated, Centoya shares her most intimate experiences as an inmate. Oh, my God, Centoya. Hello, you, how you, are you? You've lived a life that most people can't imagine. <laughs> I have. I, I, I just, I'm, I've got so much respect for you that you made it through all of this and, and wrote a book about it. 
Well, it's just by the grace of God. Can you explain um, what happened to you? Yeah, so I just was released from prison, um, not even not even three months ago. Was sentenced to fifty one years in prison after, as you said, I had been convicted of killing a man who picked me up for sex. I was being sex trafficked at the age of sixteen. Oh my god! However, I wouldn't come to really understand that I was actually being trafficked until I was well in my twenties. Um, so a lot of misunderstanding about what it what it was to be sex trafficked. A lot of a lot of misunderstanding um, about how to treat situations of sex trafficking in the legal system. So I spent a long time, spent 15 years in prison before my case was actually under review by the governor of my state, Governor Bill Haslam, and he granted me relief. So he reduced my 51-year sentence to 15 years, and I'm here today. That's just unbelievable. Um, so you said that you didn't understand that you were being sex trafficked. Was it was it a situation where you were you soliciting or were you like kidnapped or how did how did you get into this man's clutches? Right. So a lot of people when they hear the word sex trafficking, they think like you said, they think you know someone is kidnapped. They think that someone is snatched off, you know, the corner of the street. Mm-hmm. Like taken. A man yeah. is making them do these things, but <clears throat> all too often it's it's way you know it's way more simpler than that. It's it's young girls who are in a situation with an older man, as I was, who I thought was my boyfriend. I thought I was in love. I thought I was doing the things, you know, that any normal person would do in a relationship. And my worldview was completely skewed. And I didn't realize that because these were the things that I was being taught. You know, before I had even met this man who was trafficking me, I was being taught these things by older women who were in my life. I was being taught that you know, my identity revolved around how men perceived me. I was being taught that it was okay for me to expect men to give me money, to give me gifts, to buy me food, to provide me with shelter in exchange for my companionship, in exchange for sex. So all of these things played a role in me being trafficked. And whenever I was arrested around that time, the mindset was that I was simply promiscuous, that I was actually doing things in my own volition, that you know, instead of really understanding how I was being taken advantage of by adult men and that no young girl has the capacity to consent to her own exploitation, I was being shamed. I was being, you know, blamed and I was being, you know, labeled, labeled as promiscuous, labeled as fast, labeled as a teenage prostitute. And it would take several years and an effort by a local Tennessee group called In Slavery to help me to understand that there's no such thing as a teenage girl. There's no such thing as a minor who is complicit in, in her own exploitation. So um, how did you end up in this group? Did they, were, was it an outreach program or were you, did you, were you abused and were seeking help? It was, it was. So in slavery is actually an organization. They actually partner with, all of the major law enforcement organizations here in the state of Tennessee. So you have the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, which is the state version of the FBI. You have the governor's office. You have local law enforcement. They all team up together um, to actually combat trafficking in the state. And so they actually had a public awareness campaign called whatis13.org. And the television stations would play these commercials saying, what is 13? I would see the governor on the, the TV screen talking about, 
what is 13 talking about trafficking and it was through that campaign that i came to understand that there is no such thing as a teenage prostitute and that was so foreign to me and you know it wanted me it, it prompted me to want to learn more about it and so i started doing more research about trafficking after i was continually told you know i was a victim of trafficking and the more i started to learn about it the more i knew that you know other people need to know about this people need to understand that you know this is trafficking and this is what it is it's not what we think of it's not you know people being trafficked and sent off to foreign countries it's not people from foreign countries being sent here and working in massage parlors it's not always that's not always how it presents itself no, it's it's really sad. There are so many girls in that situation. I know we live in Minnesota, and apparently um, we have a very bad problem with trafficking here. I don't know what the numbers are, but I guess they're really high here in Minnesota. And I don't. And Duluth, I know. Has, Duluth, we have a port, and then um, I guess the Mall of America is and can yeah, sometimes and Ikea. be. Yeah, it's Ikea. Yeah. Well, that's you know, might I ask? Um, did anybody when when you when you were being trafficked, who who was profiting from that? Were there a third? Was there a third party that benefited from that in some way or the other? Yeah. So the the man that I thought that was my boyfriend, I was sixteen years old. He was twenty four. An older man was in a hotel with him. Um, this is where you know I was living. This is where I brought the money to, and you know. He was profiting, and, I mean, I, I didn't look at it that way. What I looked at it is, though, you know, this was my boyfriend, and I was just bringing money so we could both survive. But, you know, he was actually a trafficker, and he's what you would call um, a Romeo pimp. Oh, okay. Where they don't always present themselves as a pimp. They present themselves as your boyfriend, and it's just a matter of finessing. Did you know that there were other girls, women in your situation, or did you think that you were his sole girlfriend? You know, I thought I was his whole, whole girlfriend, so I don't know, you know, if he had other women in other places. I was only with him for a space of three weeks. I was only with him for a short period of time, so I don't even know, you know, the the scope of what he was doing. Oh, okay. And, you know, in my book, you know, I really go into everything that, that played up before that because, you know, the first thing in anybody's mind is, wow, like only in three weeks, all of that happened? Like how can it happen so quickly? Right. And people don't really understand just how easily it can happen. So when you killed him, were you were you still a minor? I was, and I didn't kill the man that was trafficking me. I actually killed someone who had picked me up to have sex with me. And, you know... I, under the federal statute, he could still be considered a trafficker. Um, however, he was someone who was purchasing sex from me. But I was still 16. I was 16 years old when that happened. And he was 43. And how did the justice system take a young 16-year-old girl who I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know if he was abusive to you and that's why this happened? Why you ended up killing him? Right. Um, how you would end up, I mean, you know, it there seems was, justifiable. There was never a question. So did you have like there, a... There was, there was never that question. Even though the DA knew that, you know, this adult man had picked me up for sex, you know, number one, and the federal statute that is considered trafficking, he could have, you know, that that's a crime. And number two, it's statutory rape, but that was never 
a consideration that was never like anything that was really brought to the forefront aside from my own attorney attempting to bring it up during trial and then you know it was being seen as bad mouthing the victim yeah. and, <sighs> and when you struck out to this uh john when you you know you're were you trying to just get away or just trying to free yourself from uh, that situation or uh, i can't imagine it was really your intent to to end his life you just want to i would guess you just want to get away okay right and you know i started to feel uncomfortable he was showing me guns in the house you know he kept telling me how he was a sharpshooter and just saying all these things that you know i felt like he was intentionally trying to intimidate me um i didn't feel that i was free to leave i had tried to leave just felt trapped and Mm -hmm. you know there was a moment where the things just started building up and building up and you know there was the moment that right before it happened i felt that he was actually reaching for a weapon i felt that something was going to happen to me in that moment and i reacted well, I, I you must have had a really horrible attorney. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was I was I was represented by a court appointed attorney. I will say that I didn't mm. have the money to pay for an attorney, and and you know we do see that that does make a difference. Absolutely. I mean, you sound like a very intelligent, well spoken woman. Um, it's I I'm just. I'm just sitting here going, I can't believe this could happen to a person. I mean, it's just so sad, and it happens It happens all the time, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, you know I've, I've, I've had exposure to uh, an individual who was actually uh, kidnapped, drugged, and maintained in that state as, uh, as an object uh, until she could get away. Until she could sober, they, she could sober up enough to get out. But they kept her in a drugs kind of a state. That's a different situation. It but, is a different. And, yeah. and unfortunately, I, yeah. don't, I don't. You know, I, I'm just learning now that there are different uh, situations where this trafficking or this uh, pres- presentation of women, and I'm sure it goes on with the young boys as well. That you are, you know, you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're used by this so, so these adults uh, for their own personal gain. And, you know, and, and it, it certainly is a worldwide kind of an issue because I've, I've, I've heard of similar kind of reports in, in, in Great Britain where uh, foreign nationals are, you know, imported for, you know, uh, this business, so to speak. Well, I, I just, you know, our hearts go out to you for what you've lived through, but you certainly have um, turned your life around and are um, attempting to be an inspiration for other people. Uh, can you tell us about um, Glitter? Absolutely. So Glitter, um, that was part of the process of me really understanding what it meant to be a trafficking victim. So while I was in Lipscomb University, which was actually a college program there at the prison, um, one of my assignments was to look back over my, my learning journey, everything that I had learned, and come up with a project that could really speak to my experience and that could help other people. And whenever I started to realize that there were so many different factors that contributed to me being, you know, more susceptible to being exploited, that contributed to me being trafficked, you know, I came up with the grassroots learning initiative on teen trafficking, exploitation, and rape because. I walked away feeling that more people need to know this. And this is actually so many cultural norms that played a role in me believing that, you know, the things that that I was involved in was okay. It skewed my entire worldview. 
And the only way to change a cultural norm is for us to replace it, for us to start having conversations with one another and teaching one another, you know, that this is not okay. And so I came up with the glitter project. And my husband and I now are working on setting up our nonprofit, which we hope to be operational by next year. And the Glitter Project is actually going to be our first major campaign. Well, I'm just absolutely, I admire you for coming out on the other side of this with being such a positive person. I mean, I'm guessing that a lot of women after dealing with what you dealt with have gone into, you know, drugs and all kinds of bad things. So it's, that's awesome that you were able to come out on the other side. By the grace of God. Her book is Free Centoya, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System. Um, Thank you so much for talking to us today, and keep doing good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I looked up some statistics here in the state of Minnesota for human trafficking, and it's remarkable what oh how this is people are getting away with this 34,000 advertisements have been put out with more than likely underage girls who have been sex trafficked that's just in the twin cities alone that's not including the outer parts of minnesota and there was also um one 16 year old who was trafficked in northern minnesota so probably in the duluth area you know bemidji um she was exploited on average to five men every day which comes out to 1800 times a year she was pimped out we have a we have a a close person to us that um Mm -hmm. she was i don't know 15 first time she ran away and it was kind of the same thing boyfriend Mm -hmm. introduce him to drugs introduce him to all this stuff and if you love me you'll do this and luckily it didn't turn into i mean it was it didn't turn into her being easily killed. She could have easily been yeah. killed. Yeah. Well, it's nice. The state of Minnesota enacted the safe harbor laws so that minors who are exploited by sex trafficking will not be treated as criminals. So they will not get incarcerated for mm. prostitution well, I up mean, to the what, age of 24. What kind of legal system do you have where you have a 16-year-old that's being abused like this? She came from her, mm-hmm. her background is bad. Yeah. Um, and we didn't get what was her background before that. I remember. Where did, uh, let's was see. But well, she she talked about it a little bit. Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> um, well, anyway, she said that. Read well, the book. She, yeah, she You'll mentioned she mentioned that that she had been taught that this is you know not uh, yeah. abnormal given her circumstances. Mm-hmm. So anyway, sorry, we're out of time. See you tomorrow. That's very fascinating. See you yeah. tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs>